Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EVMC podcast. Join us for this all-access pass backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live event industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to incredible guests who journey with us as we dive deep into the world of venues, tours, festivals, and everything in between. Grab your laminate and meet us in Venue Land. Today's adventure takes us to L.A. where we talk with a woman who's been on the road for 15 years with the same band uh, and some definitely has some stories and adventures there. But she's also been great recently talking about, you know, mental health, uh, you know, her music and, of course, and, and re what redefining happiness for herself looks like. Uh, we've had her before uh, at the EAMC uh, virtual conference and, and uh, was really inspired by her efforts as a, a founder and current president of Diversify the Stage. Please welcome the boss lady from Fits the Tantrums, Noelle Skaggs. Hello. What a wonderful intro. Thank are you, you are you in the middle of a tour right now? No, we are we're off uh until September and we're gonna be okay. going out with the goo goo dolls in September. Oh fun. You got a nice little break yeah. here because I know you've been out doing some summer shows. Yes, we have in like the hottest cities in America. Although I think every city is hot right now. <laughs> I was gonna now, say, isn't that every no city in America now? Every yeah. city in America is hot <laughs> and storming, and yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you for making the time for us today because, you know, when we chatted with you last, we talked a lot about uh, Diversify the Stage and what's going on there. And I do want to get into that here in just a minute. But but first, uh, uh, what's going on uh, in your life? What's what's happening? Where What's currently uh, going on in uh, in your world? Well, I mean, I'm I'm trying to move back to Nashville. So that's on the personal level. I've been dealing with a house renovation for over a year now, and I, I'm just so ready to move into wow. my house. Um, and the house you know, in Nashville is being renovated. Yeah, my place okay. is in Nashville, oh, which is man. actually where Diversify the Stage's headquarters um, are oh, in cool. Nashville. Uh, we work all over the country, but you know that's that's pretty much where we're located. Um, and when I'm not on the road, it has really been diving in with my team, trying to figure out next steps for the organization. Also, you know. Uh, gearing back into like creativity mode, myself and Fitz working on, you know, a, a different project that I can't talk about and you know, just really, you know, kind of projects. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a constant creative flow in between, you know, finding balance for my own personal life. I know you guys just kind of celebrated your your 15 year anniversary with uh, Fitz and Tick. How like how crazy is that, right? Because you know, one yeah. day you're you're just you're just a, uh, you're starting this thing up, and here you are. Can you believe it's been 15 years? No, no, it's it's wild <laughs> because we, it's so funny because I was trying to do the math the other day. Like I was like physically counting on my fingers. I was like, when did I actually meet? Like how old was I? Right? Like trying to like. Yeah, determine yeah. when that part of my life really started and it's just really incredible to know that our career has gone the trajectory that it has right like really starting in a a period of of music when it was still really about the records right like yeah it wasn't yeah. just singles based it, we weren't really battling this new kind of atmosphere of people not having any value in music whatsoever, like the consumer 
has changed tremendously. And, you know, us really trying to ride the wave of how we are going to continue a career path when it doesn't seem to be viable, right? Like trying to recreate a new way of building business in the music industry while also focusing on the creative artistic standpoint of it, right? Like yeah, that's been, you know, I think for me that that's been the most incredible part of it. I think for myself and the guys, right. To really think about the number of new artists that are coming through and then you don't hear about them six months later, like, right. or even just the bands that we were on the touring circuit with, you know, the number of festivals that we were playing, the events, the local events that we were playing, and even seeing those bands, like, where are they? You know, a lot of yeah. them, moved to, you know, doing more overseas because they had a better business model in those sure. areas. But you're not really seeing them as much in the U.S., you know. So I think everybody's pathways have have gone to different places. So, you know, it, it's it's wowing, you know, like we're on that level right now where we can kind of decide where we want our careers to go you know, how we want to determine what we do for the next five, six years. It definitely seems like that landscape has changed so much. And I was maybe just two days ago talking to one of my coworkers and was kind of really talking about what you were saying, how it used to be, you know, the focus was on the album and the whole presentation. And now it's on, you know, the songs and, you know, when people go, and this is not to put any blame on any of that model, but it's just how much it's changed and how much, you know, I used to remember like going and getting, you know, a CD or a cassette or whatever, and you would just listen to the whole thing front to back. And maybe you yeah. had favorite songs, but it was the full presentation. And yeah. now it's like people more so like they might like one or two songs by a band, they throw them in a playlist and then they kind of forget about. So it's that landscape has changed so much that, you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm imagining that's a, a bit of a challenge as, but you know, it's one that probably you and every other band is facing. And it's like, how do we navigate this world? That's always rotating. I yeah. mean, every artist, I mean, including the songwriters that are writing for artists, like everybody's right. really having to reanalyze how they're able to make a living in this industry. And even looking at the resources that are available to put your music out it's, it's, you know, in tandem slightly become the, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because all the TikTokers listen to Spotify. They are, yeah. it's really it, right? It's the younger yeah. generation listening to Spotify because Spotify made it so easy to grab music for free, you know, right. uh, to be able to go as long as you want it on a free model before they said, you should probably pay for this, right? Like, and now it's, it's changed. Like the copyright law has now caught up with right. something that had been going on for almost two decades now. Right. And now they're watching where the money is, is flowing and how it's doing. And, you know, we're able to renegotiate contracts based upon information that wasn't necessarily given to us at the, at the start of it, you know, so it's, again, it's changing the business model, but it's also changing the way people think about record labels and radio yeah. And, you know, everybody's just looking at the data and the analytics and it's, it seems to be a less weight on the creative standpoint, yeah, sure. right? You know, it's, and I think a lot of labels had to, you know, kind of reanalyze how they were signing artists. Like you can't just sign an artist based upon one fluke viral moment. 
and right. hope that they can create. Yeah, correct. Yeah, create a record or sell a ticket. Not when you have a platform that is literally duplicating your song right. on their post. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the number of folks that use out of my league, I'll use out of my league for our, an example. Because me and Fitz yeah. talk about this a lot. It is wild that that song, that song now we're with like 10, you know, 10, 11 years later, that song streams over, you know, roughly a million a week. That's wild. A million a week on Spotify alone, on Spotify alone. And all of that is filtering through TikTok users. Yep. Yeah. But looking at the number of TikTok people that are tagging out of my league is less than the number of streams. And you can't yeah. figure out why, right? But it's because they're using a slowed down version. It's it's mm. titled as original audio. And a lot right, of right, uses. Right. Yep. It's yep. not even reconnecting to the, you know, to the actual artist's work. So think about what we're dealing with, and then all other artists that may not have a song that was as big at the period of time. We were number one on Billboard charts. We were breaking records at that time right. with the Walker and Out of My League on that on that trajectory. And then Hand Clap had a whole other moment. And right, that right. sensibility really from YouTube and dancers, right? Like we were, you know, number one on the charts for months in Asia because of a video game and because a, you know, a <laughs> dance collective out of Korea made that song massive throughout all of Asia, you know? So it was like, you know, it's just, it, that's just how everything, you know, flows now, you know, I'm... You never know where it's going to blow up. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing what happens even in the next year. We have uh, we have Def Leppard at the stadium here tonight in Columbus as we're recording this. And this morning on my way to work, I was telling my 15-year-old my that the first gift I ever gave to a girl was a 45 of Def Leppard, right? And then, but then I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, you have no idea what a 45 is. So it was like a smaller, trying to explain that it was a smaller record and that you would go out (laughs) and you'd buy the singles. But like Paul was saying, there was such an, when you would buy a full album and, and Noel, I know you know this from your days of, you know, your, your dad being a DJ, right. And then growing up with those records in your house, you know, you would hold that full album in your hands and you'd stare at the cover art or, or the lyrics on the inside sleeve. And you would, and there was such a, when you, when you bought the album, you were investing in the band. And, and you that's what you're that. missing. That's what you're missing today, yeah. right? You're missing the tangible, sentimental value of an artist's creation. When you don't have a way of touching the younger audience with that experience of going to a record store, of literally physically going in and picking something, right? Yeah. Not having yeah. something... It's like a treasure hunt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not having something that automatically is flooded into your listening experience where you're becoming a passive listener. There is no tangible medium that is really being pressed in this infrastructure that I feel has devalued that experience, right? Yeah. Outside of going to someone's concert, but how many of us can actually afford to go on tour by ourselves? Right. Like it's increased the number of people that have to co-headline. 
you know, versus folks that were able to go on the road by themselves, you're doing a billion streams. There's no reason why you should be doing a co-headlining run with anybody, right? right? right. But that's how it's changed. That's how a lot of us have been able to afford playing sure. at larger places, right? To, to capitalize on the number of fans that we have collectively to play bigger spaces, get the larger guarantees. Like that is the model now. Yeah. But yeah. think about those bands that can't do that. Yeah, it does seem like it's kind of gatekeeping the artists that are getting started because unless you do yeah. have that viral moment and someone takes a chance on you how are you carving out enough space for yourself to really succeed in making music yeah a lot of them i i've i've learned are one they're not again they're not selling their masters to labels they're not signing on they're doing a direct to consumer business model right so pay what you want for a song they're doing it in web three. They're developing their own sense of like business model that works in that space, Twitch, like all of this stuff. Sure. It's moving away from the traditional model, right? So in order for, you know, maybe the manifestation is virtual concert, yeah. you know, and how is the market going to tap into that it, to enable young artists to actually have that in-person experience? Because there's nothing better. There's nothing better. That's why artists like us can still tour. That's why Coldplay is doing stadium tours for years. Like right. they just announced another one throughout Europe stadium. Like that's crazy because it has been so successful and engaging the audience. I went and saw them in Barcelona. And it was the most fun experience. And not only just from the perspective of me being a fan, but the way that I felt included as a fan from the wristbands yeah. that light the, you know, that are part of the lighting show, looking at the accessibility model, the sustainability model, like all of the things that I care about as a fan were a part of that show. Yeah. You know, from the diversity of their crew, like all of the things that are important to me are represented on that tour. And if DTS had an opportunity to create an actual award for everyone that is hitting the point, it would be them and their team because right. they are killing it from that standpoint, right? But there's not a lot of artists that can do that. Beyonce's yeah. doing that. Like Taylor Swift can do that. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of artists that can do that. Not everybody that. can do that. <laughs> exactly exactly so i think it's um i'm i'm very curious again I'm, I'm very curious to see what the younger generation is able to create you know what folks in you know even in my age group are doing to reanalyze the model of business and how they're going to support the next generation of artists through this new realm of technology and experience that we're having yeah it's gonna be fun well you know through 15 plus years uh, in the industry, you know, you've seen a lot. So let's, let's talk, so talk to the venue side for, for just a minute. Uh, I'm sure you've seen, you know, you talked about, you know, the, you know, seeing Coldplay and the, the giant stadium experience, but you know, there's also great shows in little clubs uh, and yeah. theaters all along the way. What makes a great venue for you as a performer? Um, I think it's how we're treated when we get there. You know, as a touring artist, like it's it's already hard enough being away from home. 
So when you walk into a venue that gives you that experience of hospitality, it's it's unmatched. You always want to play, whether or not you sold out the venue or not, right? It's the experience that you have there from the cleanliness of the, you know, the backstage, the care that's taken and the food that they give you, you know, um, assuring that you have some form of home, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Taking us to the gym if we want, making sure that the runner is available for, you know, for whatnot. And just even just, you know, it's just the way that the staff treats you, like they actually care that you're there and they're excited to host you in their space for a night, right? That takes all the pressure off. So by the time we're ready to get on stage and rock it, like we're so relaxed and so happy that that's what makes us want to come back to your venue, whether or not we've outgrown it or not. Yeah. Right. You know, we just had uh, Stevie Nicks here in town and and she has stayed at the same hotel for the last five, four or five times she's been here because she came the first time she had a good experience there. And every time she comes back, she's like, that's the place I want to stay. Right. So I know that when your tours are going out, you probably got some places that that you get excited about. What is your favorite venues to play when you look around and you're like, oh, I'm glad to see that in the place. Or what are some memories and some places that really you know stick out from your, your years on the road? Yeah. I mean, it may be because I'm from there originally, but I really have a a sweet spot in my heart every time we play Red Rocks. Anytime I see that venue, it's such, first of all, it's Red Rocks. It's the most beautiful venue. Of course. (laughs) You know, next to the gorge, right? It's it's the most incredible venue. Um, You know, for me, having that like hometown, like I was born in Denver, You know, I was there until I was six and uh, long enough to get the altitude lung capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the hospitality is wonderful. Like there's, you know, you can go hiking. I often bring my dog. If we're able to do one-offs, I'll take Marley with me and we'll, you know, hike around. And, you know, I just, I just love the experience of playing that venue. And then when you do the show to look up above those beautiful canyons and to see your fans in this just like excited capacity there's it's unmatched like i love that venue for that reason um you know smaller smaller club venues always go back to the 930 club it's one of our favorite venues in dc to play again it's the hospitality it's how they treat the artists the shows are always really fun it's always you know like they are like I always describe the DC audience as being like um, a mixture of your excited, you know, kind of Boston crowd, but more, you know, slightly conservative, like you would in LA. Like it's like that kind of in between. Like you're like, are you into it? Or are you? And then they're super into it. Like it's you know, like there's always this kind of like mystery. Is like how's the crowd going to be tonight? And it's always super fun, you know. But I think just playing the venue at being a small club venue. We did a, we did a club run in the winter of this year. And it it really allowed us to tap back into that early, you know, fits period of rocking shows and the smaller cap rooms and just that energy that you get, you know, it, it, it transcends most things, right? Like you could really feel the power of the, the joy that you're putting and it's getting, you know, launched back at you. So right, we really right. enjoyed that 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 space. So yeah, I would say those are the two, you know, favorites for me. Oh, Colorado is magical. As a as a fellow person who was born in Colorado and who hey. has a sister that lives in Denver, yeah. uh, I love it, and I love Red Rocks too. It's so so incredible. Beautiful. 
you know, obviously, uh, you know, played some very iconic gigs over the years. But one I wanted to ask you about that I, I, I always wondered if, if it was fun or not was the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Right. Weren't you guys in the Macy's Parade <laughs> last year? I did not. Did I, twice. Did I yeah. Did I see you driving down the street? <laughs> We've done it twice. Yeah. This one. This was this one was really cool. One because it wasn't as cold as the first year that we yeah. you know that we played. It's always really interesting, like because we also did the Rose Parade as well, and that one was okay, really special yeah, yeah. to me because I grew up in Pasadena. So you know, my Slightly high school warmer. were spent in Pasadena, so that was like the dream was to be on one of those floats, Rose? right? Yeah, or, yeah. Like a Rose. You weren't a rose queen. You were in the parade <laughs> somehow, right? So it's like a big, big deal. But doing the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is such a large, you know, trajectory. But it's always like you're on there and you're just waving at folks. And some people know who you are and some people don't. And you're just, you know, trying to keep people excited. And you're screaming from the, you know, raise your hands in the air, right? So you don't get bored right. to that because you have to like, you know, you never know where the press is going to be. So you want to you're taking pictures and it's it's just kind of this weird environment but us it's really fun you know but it it can be a little bit exhausting you're like oh my god how you know like does right. anybody even know who we are like this is this is wild <laughs> but it's an honor to be you know a, a part of that there's been so many incredible other artists that have had that experience as well yeah, it was fun. To, it was fun to watch, and I always uh, enjoy. One of the, one of these years, I wanted to go, right? But uh, I, I thought it must be cool to be actually in the parade. It must be fun. Yeah, it's fun. I always love seeing them like fit certain artists on certain floats, and then uh, you yeah. see this funny dynamic where it's like the M and M's float, but it's got you know this I don't know whatever it is like a rapper on it, and you've got these M and M characters dancing, and then you've got the rap. It's like it's it's really funny how they'll sometimes uh, mash up different brands with yeah. each other. Yeah, and even the song choices, because you don't have, they they choose the songs, you know, so we're oh, like, yeah, sure. you know, we had gotten a little bit of like slap back from like Breitbart or whatever, you know, that that little website, they like to stir oh, up yeah, stuff, yeah. and they were like, money maker on a children's flow, or like, listen, Lego chose the song, <laughs> we had right. nothing to do with that. And the kids couldn't even hear it. Like you cannot hear the song from the flow. <laughs> Let's be like, honest, Lego play. is a money maker, so, exactly. you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> making money for decades for years. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, you know, we talked about a little bit at the beginning, but wanted to talk about diversify the stage. And first of all, I want to congratulate you. I think I saw you were just nominated for uh, Music Cities Awards, where you were uh, nominated for Best Initiative to Support Diversity and Inclusion in Music. Uh, and it's obviously been a, a wild last couple of years. So so for somebody who's never heard about it, talk to us about kind of uh, how things got started and where they are today. Well, I'll just tell you what Diversify the Stage is. It's um, it's a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we focus primarily on building um, more inclusive pathways to careers behind the scenes for historically marginalized and underrepresented communities. So it could be, you know, everything from women, non-binary to BIPOC communities. A lot of the diversity that you don't really see behind the scenes when you're thinking about the production elements. You know, it's for years and years been very male dominated, primarily because it's an industry that's that's roughly kind of hard to get into. If you don't know about it, you're likely not going to, you know, kind of reach for it as a goal. What I've noticed over the, you know, the past several years is there has been an increase of women and non-binary folks 
that have been interested in career paths, especially from the technical side of it, looking at your lighting designers to audio engineers, they're studying and you know recording engineering school and they're interested in the live elements. They want to be connected to the artists, but they're not artists or performers. You know, so we've we've just even seen an increase in applicants that make up the awesome. you know the number of, of folks. So I started it primarily just looking at my career as a whole, even outside of Fits and the Tantrums. I was a touring artist in another band for about eight years of, of, of my career. I traveled all over the world and it was the same thing. Like it was just, it became an experience that I was so used to that I didn't question it. It was like, oh, it's just how it is. We don't want to be involved there, right? Like we're not, it, it's not, wasn't a thought for me. And it wasn't until obviously all of the things that were going on socially, having time during COVID to really think about what has my career been like? What is acceptable for me? What isn't? Our team has always been 50-50 gender. We've always tried to ensure that we had female technicians or you know production management on our team because the very first year that we spent touring, I was the only woman. And that can get old very quickly when you're on a, you know, sprint in a sprinter van with a bunch of dudes and, you know, (laughs) or even just, you know, traveling in a a one bus experience and and trying to identify with someone when you're going through something and you just having no one around to talk to about it that can get where you're coming from. So we, you know, decided that that's not how we were going to tour anymore. And I think it really, you know, it it evened out the balance that male and female, like it, the guys would never do that again of having just having dudes on the road, right? Like they recognize that dynamic as well. You know, me thinking about that, I was feeling very frustrated with, you know, society at the time being an African-American woman in America was not fun for a lot of us continuously seeing our reflections just being attacked at every turn. And I felt like I had an opportunity to utilize my platform to talk about something that I could actually touch. And it just, you know, opened the doors and talking to different people. I called a really good friend of mine, Mark Oglesby, who I met, you know, he was the former tour manager for One Republic. And I said, how do you find staff? I just flat out asked him, I was like, you guys run with a larger camp than we do. Is it the same? You know, is it this like, you know, how do you find people? And he's like, it's pretty much word of mouth, you know, like a connection yeah. here. I, I, you know, I ask a friend, they have somebody that will fit the bill. They either fit the squad or they don't. And then we move on. But there was no real like technical way of finding folks. Like there's no agencies there's no HR. There's no like, you know what I'm saying? There, there's no yeah, like no centralized. Yeah. Exactly. When you're thinking about corporate industry, it doesn't really work for us in all senses. So I wanted to figure out how we could one expand the 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 net for people to be able to find work. And then also if the pool is shallow of diverse folks, maybe, you know. I talked a lot about education with tour managers that would go to high schools and tell young people about what they did before they got into college and started kind of navigating the space of career choice. Um, And we decided to try out introducing folks to the careers. And I called uh, Music Ford Foundation. I had my managers contact the executive director 
to see if there was something that we could collectively do to create an experience that would educate young people on the roles that were available to them. And that's really how it started through a masterclass series um, and an already existing kind of, you know, virtual program experience that Music Forward had been hosting throughout the pandemic to re-engage, you know, to keep the youth engaged, to have important dialogue, to do all of the things that they had been doing in person in a format virtually. So I curated an entire touring focused masterclass for young women of color who had interest in behind the scenes career paths, you know, from your labels down to your, you know, producers. We tapped into audio. We tapped into lighting. I had Suna Ruthier, who was also um, a, a mentor. She is known for her award-winning lighting design. She's did the lighting designing for Coldplay for this tour. You know, she's, you know, Imagine Dragons, Panic at the Disco. She's been in the in the game as long as I have been as an actual lighting, you know, designer and technician. And she sure. has her own team. She doesn't even go on the road anymore. She designs everything from home and then she sends people out. Like that's what that's she awesome. does. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's phenomenal. And, you know, Marguerite Nguyen, who was Coldplay's tour manager, was also a speaker. And we had Henry Bordeaux, who at the time was Tyler, their creators, you know, production manager. And, you know, so we had all of these wonderful folks talk about what they did and inspired the youth in that way. And from there it became, oh, well, we need to have mentors because mentors have been such an important part of my life, you know, kind of growing up as an artist. So we added a mentorship component and now we were like, well, you can't do anything unless you're getting real time experience. So we started placing people with different, you know, workforce opportunities, tapping into our touring resources. So now our program consists of eight weeks of master classes. Folks like yourself come and they talk to the youth about what they do. There's a curriculum awesome. build out. Uh, we're focused on that. And then we have six months mentorship placements. And then the next phase is is apprenticeship placements. And this year we've teamed up with Venue Nation, AEG Presents, The Bowery Presents Boston and FPC Live to host 12-week paid apprenticeship experience at multi-venues and multi-departments. So not only are you coming out of this program with a robust knowledge of the various career paths that are integrated into these spaces, but you also get this real-time training experience, being able to work at different capacities of a venue. So, you know, by the time you're done, you you know how a venue operates at different scales. So that's great. Have you have you seen some best stories, I'm sure, from people that maybe started off with you guys and now are in the industry? Yeah, I mean, it's it's wild. We just got a phone call from one of our first alumni. She had just been hired full time at a rival artist, which is, you know, a management company. But they That's were awesome. one of our earlier supporters. Arrival was like, what can we do? They were very, you know, instrumental in the inclusion initiative that we put out, which was basically bringing every single major company together to vocally say, we understand that there is an issue. This is how we plan on moving forward to challenge ourselves to be more inclusive, to create more opportunities for folks that are missing in this industry. This is what we're doing, right? 
so they were instrumental in that. So when we got, you know, got the word that she had been hired full time after, you know, kind of doing like a yeah, part time internship experience, it was like, oh, great. You know, and we've had we have had others that have, you know, gone on to continuously do things on the festival level and, you know, or decided that they wanted to create a different business model within the industry. So they're going to school to study this so that they can bring that into here. Right. There's a lot of focus on sustainability. You know, there's a lot of, you know, focus on how do I make the environment of the music industry better for people like me, right? That are that are going to be living on this planet long after you guys die, right? Like after right, you guys are yeah. gone and retired, we're going to be taking care of it. So, you know, just really creating very thoughtful leaders, you know, that are that are working the circuit. And isn't that the perfect example of why diversity and representation is so important is that you are getting all of these different perspectives. And some of these people are coming in and they're like, we need to build a better machine. Like, let's go do it, you know? And maybe if, if you didn't invite them into that circle, the industry would suffer for it, you know, and it's, you know, we're probably better off having those people be like, you know, this is really cool. I'm inspired by this, but also how do I change this for my generation as I'm getting yeah. older? And, and, you know, I love, I love to just the intention on really looking at the entire process. Cause I do feel like, you know, we all saw like in 2020 and in 2021, a lot of businesses are like, we want to make changes, but they look at it from one level. And the problem is, is okay. Maybe you don't like, like to your point, you know, maybe your pool is not even there. Like how can you recruit into it if you haven't been building on that for decades sometimes. So it's like, you really need to like look at all the layers and how you're really starting from the beginning on getting people interested in the industry and getting people inspired by it and then pulling them up and mentoring them and then getting them engaged and plugging them in and kind of like giving them the ability to do it. Yeah. It's It's a long long play. play. I mean, it's, it's definitely more than just hiring diverse folks. I mean, one of the, you know, the things that we've kind of discontinued in our everyday language was including diversity, equity, and inclusion as our only moniker for what the work that we do. We're creating inclusive spaces that lead to equity and justice for folks, right? We are talking about not only the element of you hiring, it is where you are investing in your business that can actually create opportunity for communities that are not being considered in those models. You know, it was something that I brought up with Venue Nation at one of their conferences. I was like, I just listened to a lot of, you know, the folks talking about new markets and being ahead of the game and the head of the curve. You know, this is pretty much everybody across the board, right? When you're thinking about how do you expand the, you know, the the market for music in spaces that, you know, are viable markets now, right? Like in getting ahead of the game. But are you considering those areas that are not seeing that investment that have the power of that dollar that need those jobs in their communities, that need the increase in tourism, that need all of these things? They all play into that, right? You can't Mm -hmm. just expect someone to move from their neighborhoods because most of us stay because we feel safe there, even in the chaos, right? We feel safe there. You can't expect us to move to a location where we're one of five. It's not going to happen, right? right? But if we see you taking that seriousness and investing in our communities and respecting that we do have a power, 
that our dollars do matter to your bottom line, the better we'll be, right? Because you'll start emphasizing that as being an important market for you to invest your dollar in, be it as a production supplier to a venue, to a concert venue, right? And 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 really looking at that experience. I mean, it, there's so many elements to how we can, you know, uh, infrastructurally change how things are moving, but it has to be more than you're just hiring diverse faces to meet a benchmark or to meet whatever state requirement you have based upon, you know, whatever, right? It's not to say that people are like that, but that is still a part of the narrative. You have to have a number of folks that are representative bodies in your business. If you have more than a hundred employees, that is the law right? on a federal yeah. level, right? So when you even get past that, it's not about a benchmark. It's like, how are we going to be a part of the long term change and equality model, right? Not that we're just trying to meet the, you know, 10,000 new employees that meet this criteria model, because for us, that doesn't feel like it feels performative, you know, sure. as a as a person that does sit in the skin that does, you know, that is constantly looking at the human experience of folks like myself and how we've now just gone to this place. We're only going to do it for ourselves. Like whether or not you come or not, we're going to start moving the needle in this way. Right. And, and that's what's, that's what's really starting to happen for me. I feel like it is the responsibility of the collective to change and 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 reshape a new model for how we're doing business right across the board because it can't just be like oh we're going to stay in our little corner and we're thriving here while everybody else is not thriving yeah so you've got people listening from venues all around the world right now not a lot of not a million people but <laughs> there are people listening all over right now uh, you never know. TikTok may lead to it. Yeah. yeah. What can we do on the <laughs> venue side to uh, to support this effort? I mean, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, even with like Neva, you know, furthering how we can expand with an AG management, managed companies, uh, venue nation, has been in really looking at the investment that's happening on a entry level. Doesn't matter if you're college age or not. If you have a desire to enter, maybe transition into this industry, looking at investment and programs that help service that, right? Because the only way you're going to really know whether or not you're good at this space or find your footing in it is if you have a pathway into it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so we invite a lot of venues to... Where do you see in your capacity participating as a partner in DTS, right? Because you can present a masterclass. You can open up an internship spot or two or five, right? Um, and, and invest in a $20 livable wage, regardless of where you're at, right? Uh, creating that kind of pipeline of income. Some ways that it's possible to do that is to create a dollar per ticket model. You know, uh, some of the venues have all been concerned about, well, we're not sure if we can find it in the budget. 
a lot of the stuff for DTS has been within my touring and orchestrating a contractual agreement like, hey, would you guys be willing to add a dollar per ticket to donate to diversify the stage so that we can continue this program? And we are also very happy to connect with you and how we can train you to properly facilitate these types of internship experiences for your teams, right? Because most people do want to mentor, you know, or right. where you're not good at mentoring, you are really good at teaching someone right. about your role or where you're maybe not a great teacher. You are definitely a wonderful manager, right? You can definitely navigate you know, making sure that somebody knows exactly what they're doing every single day so that they can grow into something, right? Everybody's good at something, right? If you're not good at kids, you're good at adults. So there's, right. you know, <laughs> the opportunities to to really, really, you know, help shape that. So my, my thing for any venue that really wants to start is just, it's make the call. It's like, write down five things that you think your venue can really offer a young person an experience or somebody that is trying to transition into this industry. These are all of the roles where we're seeing a lack of diversity that we would like to see more faces. You know, we you can apply these types of skill sets to this role and present it. You know, um, yeah. utilizing even this space is an incredible platform to start talking about the roles. Maybe there's a, you know, different format of the podcast that really hones into this, right? That you can invite the public to view. You know, some people, you know, some of us, you know, are finding that people are trying to transition out of the current department they're in and they don't even know how to do it. True. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So all of these things can really be helpful pathways. And and some of it can happen for very little money, if money at all. Right. Um, but you can create, I think you can create a space. Like if you're talking about a hundred thousand cap stadium and creating some type of dollar per ticket, 50 cents per ticket model, that can go into funding for programmatic experiences. Somebody is, is listening and they're, they want to learn more. What's the best place for them to, to contact, you know, diversify the stage? You can reach out to us. You One, you can check out our website at um, diversifythestage.org if you want to learn a little bit more about what we do. I mean, a multitude of things that, that we do do that are not necessarily related to the apprenticeship program you can talk to us about, right? Because there's there's all sure, these things sure. that happen. Um, and then you can reach out to us at community at diversifythestage.org. We've talked about, you know, a lot of your time on stage, you know, with the fifth and the tantrums, we talked about your time with diversify the stage, but but who is Noelle away from the stage? Right. So obviously I know you know you've talked a lot about mental health and it's something that we yeah. all kind of learned about over the past, you know, few years and how it how it can be really tough in this industry. So so tell me about who you are and kind of how you find that that balance in life. Well, when I'm not, <laughs> when I'm not working, right? Like just even yeah. outside of just like music creation, I'm a dog mom. That's what I do. I hang out with my dogs. Um, <laughs> I, I'm actually like a massive, like playlist creator. Like I've always been that way. Like even since I was a kid, I used to always make mixtapes. I used to always oh, yeah. like, you know, try to create like um, a seamless 
music listening experience. So that's stuff that I kind of do for fun. It gives me creative ideas, but it also allows me to kind of just adventure, you know, different sounds and, you know what I mean? Maybe some of that kind of translates into something that I'm trying to do in the future or not. But, you know, like I'm just super chill. I love hosting my friends. I love throwing dinner parties. I love, you know, kind of traveling. I travel all the time. I have a, um, a media company that's, you know, focused on food and, and, and travel experience and blending it in with the music and all that always having like a sonic element to my travel experiences. And it's called adventures with skags. And the entire pretense was creating, you know, a a space for me where I could remember where I was on the road. (laughs) That's initially how the started. And now it has become this, you know, this thing. I just, I just spent a month um, in Spain and Portugal bouncing around. So if you go to Adventures with Skags, you'll see all of my highlights from that trip and what that experience was like for me. I love visiting Europe. It's one of my favorite, you know, places to (laughs) roam about primarily because of the churches and the, you know, the museums and, and all of that. I love walking around. I love the food. I love, you know, it's just, so much it's about it that I love, right? So I love doing that. I love driving, you know. So I'm, I'm I'm an adventurer kind of you know person. If I'm not running around town with my dogs, I'm on a plane going somewhere. <laughs> yeah. As adventurers in venue land, we are also adventuring people. So I, I, I yeah. got you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. All right. Before we wrap things up, because I know we're about running out of time, I want to hit you with our fast five. It's five quick questions. Just looking for your instant response. First up. Do you remember your very first concert? Wu-Tang Clan, The Form, when I was 14. Oh, Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) How about your favorite concert? Favorite concert, I would say, is the Coldplay concert in Barcelona at the the stadium. I forget the name of the stadium. but This was the the recent tour, right? The recent tour. Didn't uh, you you know Anna Lee, too, right? Didn't she shoot with you all? We've had her on the podcast. She's awesome. She's wonderful. Yeah, she is now with Coldplay doing it. I know. I've been following her her photos. I'm like, oh, my God, you're incredible. Yeah. Check out that episode. Yeah, it's a winner. Uh, how, okay. How about you mentioned travel? How about your favorite vacation getaway? Ooh, that's a big, tall order. I, I love Spain. Like Spain is, is amazing for me. I really did enjoy my time in, uh, in Portugal as well this time around, I would say it, it spears around country. Um, but for this trip, I would probably say Valencia, Spain Wow, was my favorite city on this, on this roundabout you know trip that i had taken it has everything it has your history it has your modern elements like the science center and science and um, art center in valencia i was jaw dropped just walking around the entire time every corner i turned the food was incredible it was a really nice city to kind of go and just walk around you can ride bikes because it's pretty flat you know, so it's like it's a it's a real it's a real beautiful town. Like I could see myself living there for a little bit. You mentioned your uh, dog mom, so let's put you on the line. What is your favorite dog breed? Oh, I like <laughs> the mixed breeds because they're kind of yes. weird. They're the best. Yes. They're the best. <laughs> I have so, like a mixed my breed. two dogs. I have two. One is named Helen. The other one is Marley. 
And Marley is a Malinois cattle dog mix. So she's she got the recessive like traits. So she's mostly black, but in the summertime, you can see her brown, like her dark brown <laughs> siding. And she's got, you know, this those spots on her chest and her markings from the cattle dog mix. And then Helen is just like this like sausage, you know, she's part <laughs> dog and she's part Boston Terrier and Chihuahua and Pomeranian. So it's like when she gets upset, her back goes up like a like she's got a mohawk oh, yeah. and her tail curves yeah. over, but she's got the like chihuahua attitude and she's fat. Like, I don't know. Like, she's so funny. She's a funny looking <laughs> dog and she's Brendel, you know, so she's a beautiful coat and she's just sassy. I just love her. I can't tell at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Last question for you. Uh, what is your theme song? So there's a TV show that's all about your life. Cameras follow you around all the time. Uh, what is the song that plays over the opening credits to the Noel show? Oh my God. The theme song. Um, I would probably say cheers. <laughs> cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Everybody knows your name. Everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we are glad you came to hang out with us. Uh, give us some plugs. Uh, anything you want, like people want to follow along with Fitz or obviously you mentioned the travel website, but your adventures, uh, 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 plug anything you want to throw out there. Well, again, uh, if you're interested in Diversify the Stage and supporting, we could use all the support that you can garner, um, especially in donations. We are a nonprofit, so we, we do rely upon public support of the infrastructure so that we can manage everything that we're trying to do. So it's www.diversifythestage.org. If you're interested in my food and travel experiences, you can go to adventureswithskags.com or visit me on Instagram. It's Adventures with Skags. And of course, you know, fits in the tantrums, everything. Pick up our record, let yourself free. We have uh, vinyl pre-sale available. So if you are a person yeah. that loves vinyl, we finally have vinyl that is going I to start am, shipping in September. And it's a deluxe album. So we spent a lot of time really putting together the packaging. It's it's gorgeous. And, you know, come see us when we play with the Google Dolls. So just go to fitsinthetantrums.com. There you go. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking time and uh, talking to us today about everything. And and really, uh, really uh, love what you're doing there with Diversify the Stage. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And a big thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We do love your five-star reviews. It helps others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Ruttelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Venue Marketing Conference, a marketing conference that brings together diversified event and venue professionals to cultivate education, collaboration, and innovation for the growing sports and live entertainment industry. Find out more at eventvenuemarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Ruttelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.